Thank you for listening and subscribing to the Anchor Church podcast. It is our desire at the Anchor to provide a place for you to know God, find freedom, discover your God-given purpose, and ultimately make a difference in the world around you. Each week, the Anchor podcast features Sunday sermons. To hear this live and before subscribers do, join us in Rockport, Maine on Sunday mornings at 10 for worship and before that at 845 for prayer service. You can follow along in this podcast episode and read the sermon notes on our website by visiting theanchor.me. Now, let's get into the Word. Today, Lord, I thank you for every person that's here. Uh, Lord, we come with great expectation today. Lord, we're not uh, a group of people that come to church just to check a box, but Lord, we come because we believe that you are still moving, that you are still speaking, and God, that you desire to interact with us today in a deep way. And so, Lord, we just open up our hearts wide. God, just as we were singing a few minutes ago, God, our hearts are open. Uh, Lord, to hear your voice, to hear your will, to hear what you're doing in this season, this hour. Lord, we thank you that you haven't gave up on this region. Lord, we know there's a lot of people that have, but you haven't. Lord, you're still fighting for this region. And Lord, we just are crazy enough to believe that we're part of the solution for this for this region because, Lord, we get the chance to partner with you. And so, Holy Ghost, come and talk to us today. Continue to transform us. Continue to change us. Just release your life and your energy today. God, we're tired. Help us wake up. God, help us to press into you. And so, Lord, thank you for uh, supernatural strength. Lord, we know that you're capable and you're able to give it. And Lord, we just receive it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Listen, I, I want to start today by, you know, maybe in an odd way. This was probably the most, I got a lot of cool gifts for Christmas, but this was probably the most meaningful gift that I got for Christmas. You, you can't really see it, but it's a picture of me, the, uh, you know, the short, handsome guy there in the middle. And, and then uh, with two guys beside me, the guy on, the, on, on uh, your left basically is a guy named Rob Coley. He's been here and led worship before. And uh, the guy on, the, on my left, your right, is his dad. His name's uh, Ken. And so Ken actually came and he installed the sound system and all of that. But let me maybe say this. The the reason that picture, uh, Jen gave it to me for Christmas, the reason it's so meaningful to me is because a little over a year ago, Mr. Ken, actually after they came here and they installed the system, uh, he went back home. And when he went back home, he found out he had cancer. You know, a little over a year ago, he passed away. And and the the reason I bring that up is because... Right before he passed away, actually it was the day before he passed away, basically I got, I got FaceTimed into the hospital room where he was at. And, and here's, you know, Mr. Ken, he's, he's laying in the hospital bed. I mean, just, you know, obviously cancer was, you know, it riddled his body. It didn't look anything like what he did in that picture. And so anyways, we're, you know, FaceTimed in the room. He's laying in his bed and there's people all around him, you know, all of our friends and all of our family and they were all there for a significant reason, but something something happened. We were, they were actually there because his son, basically one of Mr. Ken's requests was that his son would be ordained before he passed away. And so they kind of did the ordination service in the hospital room. And so this is actually Shania's uncle that I'm talking about today. So um, anyways, but, but basically after they did that, uh, Mr. Ken decided to go around the room and express to everyone in the room uh, including myself, basically what we all meant to him and how we impacted his life. And, you know, all I can say is this, is that it was almost like he was saying that, that I never had the opportunity to tell you this before, but before I leave, I want you to know what's in my heart for you. And, and you know, sitting there and receiving it, I remember him saying, and that young man on the phone, 
because this guy was my friend, but he also, if, you, if you've ever met him, he was like Papa Bear everywhere he went. And so it was like this, this fathering anointing that was on his life. And uh, anyway, so he said that, and so obviously, you know, then he began to basically express his heart of what he thought about me and my family, man. And, and if you've ever been in that spot, uh, man, I was so humbled by the things that he shared, but, but I, I can't put into words how impactful that moment, how life-changing that moment was, because, uh, you know, I just, I just cried and cried and cried. I mean, I was so tore up, you know, thankful that I had the moment, but an emotional wreck in the process. But, you know, I say that to say this, is that that's the first time that I ever really realized that if, when a person is given the opportunity to, you know, share their last words, those last words tend to be the most meaningful and heartfelt words that they will ever express. You know, and that day is, is, was for sure for me, out of all the conversation, all the years that we had, that here, here was this man, basically, that came on our staff down at, down at Covenant Love, down in North Carolina, and I just heard the Lord one day say, I, I want you to love him. And so I just obeyed and just started loving him, and I never knew the connection that I would get with a guy. Anyways, so out of all the conversations that we had, definitely that last one was the most impactful you know, I'll say this, a lot of times when people have the opportunity to share their last words, within those words, there's a profound amount of encouragement that's released in those words. You know, there's a, a profound amount of value and love that's, that's in those words for the individual they're speaking to. You know, so often those words give direction and they give purpose. They, they kind of restore a right perspective in life. You know, it kind of recenters us. If I can maybe say this, it recenters us to what's most important. You know, because obviously there's valuable truths in that. But on the flip side, you know, it's, it's not all just for, you know, the person that's hearing. I think for the person that's doing the speaking so often is, is that their unspoken hope is that their words will be received, that their words will be taken to heart, that their words will be remembered, and ultimately that those words will be carried out. And I, I kind of say all that to say this today, to kind of set up this moment. A, a few years ago, I realized this. That I, I realized that, that people are not the only ones that do that, but so did God. And, and I want to show you something today that I think is super significant. And, and I hope we just kind of grab a hold of this. Now, obviously, when God, uh, you know, quote unquote, said his last words, that sounds kind of cheesy to say that, but hopefully you'll get in the context. Obviously, he wasn't sick, he wasn't dying. Uh, you know, he was just preparing to close the door on one covenant so he could open up the door and reveal the better one. And, and so let me explain here that, that obviously we know that the Bible is broken up in two parts. It's broken up in the New Testament or the, I'm sorry, the Old Testament or the Old Covenant and the New Testament or the New Covenant. Now, theologians and historians tell us this, that there's approximately 430 years in between those two covenants. And, and what's so wild about that is, is they also have labeled that gap of time, that time period, as the quote-unquote silent years. And the reason they call it the silent years is because there's no written record of God speaking to his people during those 430 years. And so, you know, why a lot of people have looked upon that, you know, those silent years as a, in a, you know, kind of a negative light, uh, I personally believe that in God's supreme intentionality, he did it on purpose. And I feel like the, the reason he did it is because he wanted to reveal something to us about his heart, about his, uh, his character's nature of who he really is. And so if we, if we actually begin to stop and not look at a negative light, but, but if we actually look at it, look at it in this way, that if we view the end of the Old Testament 
as God closing one chapter so he could once again open up a new chapter to us at a later date, I think we can begin to ask these questions in light of what we already talked about. As God was preparing to close this chapter, this dispensation, this time period, if you begin to stop and go, man, what were, what were the words that God was holding closest, dearest to his heart at that moment? You know, what was the message that he was longing and waiting to unveil at that time? You understand that every time God speaks, it's right on time. Right? So God doesn't speak just to speak. There's a purpose in it. So what was he longing and waiting for? What was the, the direction and the purpose that he was hoping you and I would grab or the people during that era? What was the lesson that he valued as the most important? What was the, you know, once again, what was he hoping that we would receive, take to heart, remember, and ultimately carry out? I, I think it's this. Once again, nothing flashy here. I think the answer is in the very last verse in the Old Testament. I want to show you this. It's Malachi 4, verse 6. It says that he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. One more time. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. So think about this with me for a minute. Here's God who could have said a million different things, right? He said a million different things, but he was telling us that the most important thing in his heart, that the last thing that he wanted his people to remember for the next 430 years was what? For the fathers to be connected to their children and the children to be connected to their fathers. Now, I, I personally believe that, that this speaks to biological families. Please don't miss this. That speaks to biological families, that if you're a father or if you're a mother here today, that there is something that God has that he wants you to connect with those children. Obviously, the last part of that verse, a little bonus here, is it says, least I come and smite the earth with a curse. Do you realize that, let's say, I'll pick on Texas for a second, that the state of Texas, that 86% of the inmates that are in prison come from fatherless homes. So, so there's, there's a point here that, yes, it has to do with biological stuff. We could go down tons of, tons of statistics when the father and mother's not in the home, suicide rate, you know, uh, you know, sex before marriage, uh, you know, teen pregnancy, all those things go through the roof. But, but, but I believe it's not only talking about biological families, but I also believe it's talking about spiritual families as well. Do you get that? That, that in other words, when, when God was speaking this, that he was saying that he desires for the spiritual fathers to still be connected to their spiritual children and spiritual children to be connected to their spiritual parents. In other words, that spiritual moms would have spiritual daughters and that spiritual fathers would have spiritual sons and that there would be this connection. Am I making sense to you today? So listen, fast forward and what I think is, you know, maybe even all the more interesting, fast forward 430 years and, and you're thinking, okay, God's going to speak and, you know, he's going to open up the next chapter, going to open up the new covenant. And, you know, what's the most important thing that was on God's heart? In other words, what was the thing, the message that he wanted to reconnect with his people? You know, obviously it's in Matthew chapter one. Look at this. It says a record of genealogies or a record of generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Judah. And the line, uh, this line of thought continues for 13 more verses. And it goes through 42 generations of fathers and sons. You know, I... I think it's so amazing that here's God, how he chose to break his silence, what was in the exact same spot. <laughs> the exact same thing that was the most important thing to him 
ending one covenant was still the most important thing in the new covenant. 430 years, that, if you will, that message, that burden, whatever, had not lifted. It was still the main thing. It was still the most important thing. And part of the reason is this, is because, because obviously, you know, and, and relation in all this, it is a reflection of really what we have with him. Do, do you understand that? And, you know, in other words, I said it this way. When you, when you pull back and you look at the pattern of heaven... Obviously, when you look at the pattern of the Trinity, you have the Father and the Son. So there's family language that's used there. And what happens is, is we know Jesus obviously came and, you know, once again, he said Father all the time. You know, he talked about the Father constantly. Anyways, so so there's this whole idea that obviously that heaven, the Trinity, operates as a family. And so once again, when we got saved and he brought us into his family, how are we supposed to act? You know, and there's this thing that's like God didn't bring us into his family. I kind of get ahead of myself here so we can live isolated. Yeah. Right? And so, anyways, let me kind of maybe show you this here. Um, I remember the first time that I saw this, that honestly, when I began to see this stuff about family and the kingdom and all this stuff, that, that I began to realize that, you know what, man, um, for years I've been told by the church Maybe not verbally, but by their actions, that a whole list of other things were most important. Y'all with me? Here's what I mean. How, how often, you know, we came to church and the most important thing was we got to seek revival. Come to church. We got to pray. Come to church. We got to teach the word. We got to reach the lost, man. It's all about the gifts of the spirit, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And, and while all those things are great and they're good and they're definitely of God, the wild part was as God was going, hey, Quinn, this is not... The most important thing, let me open your eyes up and let me show you something else. In fact, to kind of bring this, some proof to this, some context to this, during the same time God was talking to me about all this, I, I end up hearing someone basically talk about the usage of certain words in the Bible. And, and the point was, is the church makes these things the most important things, but let's really look at the number of times that God mentioned these things, and it might give us a clue of what he thinks is most important. So, so anyways, I will say this. Um, it depends on what translation you read for theologians out there. Uh, some of these numbers are inaccurate, okay? Some of them are too low, uh, but the point still gets across. Here we go. The list that this guy gave was basically said tongues is mentioned in the New Testament 17 times. I've definitely been around churches where that was the main focus, right? Then other churches or other places, man, it's all healing. The healing was used 13 times. Y'all following? That prophecy, and I love prophecy, but it's 21 times. Once again, those numbers are low if you really look at it in different translations, just so you know. Then, then the people who are all focused on the fivefold ministry, that evangelist was mentioned twice. Teacher, four times. Pastor, nine times. If you add shepherds in there, that number goes way up. Apostle, we love an apostle, 19 times. Prophet, love them, 227. Sons and daughters, over 2,000 times. 2,000 times. Watch this. Fathers or father, 4,000 times. The point is, is what do you think God is putting the emphasis on? Right? Isn't it so funny how we spend so much time on all those other things? And listen, I just believe when we make the main thing the main thing, all those other things come. It's really that simple, right? And so anyways, you know, I I think when I saw that, man, that was a huge eye-opener. And the the reason is, is because up to that point in my Christian walk is I had had been around, been a part of some amazing churches, 
right? Seen tons of amazing churches. There's, we, we live in a very rich nation when it comes to churches, right? Yes? We live in a great nation. And so where we obviously have a freedom to worship and obviously the byproduct is great churches. But, but what, I, what I never saw was is I never saw a single church make the main emphasis that we're talking about today the main emphasis of a growing into a kingdom family. Now, obviously, it doesn't mean that, um, you know, we're better. That's not, that's not the point here today. And, and I'm not saying that these people didn't love God and, and God didn't use them. Obviously, they do love God, and obviously, God did use them. It's just their focus and their energy was spent in other areas, right? And so I think what happens was is, is when I began to notice this, you know how it is. When God begins to give you revelation on something, you kind of pull back. And you kind of just start watching. And, and, you, and you begin to go, okay, God, what, what do I need to see? And it's not from a position of being critical. It's just like, man, think, things just change. You just see things different. And, and what I noticed was is that when churches made those other things the main emphasis, the relational outcome, I'm telling you all this for a reason today, that the relational outcome in those churches is what Paul talked about in 1 Corinthians 4. Please grab a hold of this verse. It says this. It says, this is Paul talking, I do not write these things to shame you as my beloved children, I warn you. Now remember, he's writing this to a church. He said, for though you might have 10,000 instructors, uh, your translation may say teachers in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers. See, these other emphasis that we have in our nation have created a, basically a church culture that's full of teachers. But there's very little fathers and mothers. And when you, and let me say it this way, when, when, you, when you have an absence of fathers and mothers, you'll always have an absence of sons and daughters. Yes. And the reason is, is because it takes a father and a mother to reproduce sons and daughters. And, and you know, so I think part of the question is looking around today and, and having the honesty to ask ourselves, who are we reproducing? Right? Who are we reproducing? And, and see, what happens is, is what, I, what I begin to see is in this culture, this teaching culture, if you want to word it that, it, it teaches this formula right here, and we'll throw it up here, that, that basically they say this, that right information plus right choices. In other words, there's a teacher giving right information. The person that's hearing it needs to make right choices, and they need to add to those right choices a commitment. And if they do those things long enough and well enough, then guess what will happen? They'll have transformation. So, now, is there truth to that? Yes. But is that all that God has for us? Absolutely not. It's not. And, and so, you know, I, I'll say this. I, I'll kind of get ahead of myself here. But, but what happens is, and what I've witnessed for 20 years in church, is that basically because we're trying to give right information, we're expecting everybody to make right choices, and we're expecting to commit, and then where their lives are transformed, it's their fault. And the other thing that I've noticed, and this is the part that breaks my heart, is because it says this, that basically when, when someone's life falls apart and they fall off the wagon, that it was their problem because they didn't hear and receive the right information and they didn't make the right choices and they weren't committed enough, therefore there's the deal. Now, is there some truth to that? Yes. But, but is that really the whole thing? No. The, the, the problem I have with this is that it treats people like they're dispensable. Nobody's dispensable, right? Nobody. And, and so, anyways, so there's this, um, if I can say it in a strong way, there's this arrogance that comes from pulpits that I don't think is the heart of God. 
right? And it's, and it's not only, you know, once again, if it comes from the pulpit, then it's typically in leadership there. And then that's basically when somebody leaves, it's their problem. A few years ago, I had to finally stop and in my own heart to go, you know what? It's not always their problem. Right? If they left offended, maybe we give them a reason to be offended. You know, and it comes down to this is that what, what this equation is missing is right information, right choices, and commitment. It, the question is, is basically, did we learn to love through that process? Did we love them or did we just want to be a teacher and just instruct them? Well, this isn't a college class. This is a family. Right? Now, now let me maybe add something here. In a family, are there times of teaching? Yes. Yes, right? But, but it doesn't mean that, that teaching supersedes relationship. Right? In fact, it's kind of this. You know, I don't know about you, but I personally struggle. And maybe this is a pride issue on my part. But I personally struggle when people try to correct me or tell me something. And they've never taken the time to build a relationship and know my heart. I struggle with that. And, uh, you, you know, obviously there's times where the Holy Ghost says, hey, you need to listen. But a lot of times he's got to get through my, my issue and my hang up on that other thing. So here's the thing, okay, and I kind of say this a lot of times. And listen, I know this is, this is just me being honest with you today. But a lot of times that teacher-student model unintentionally teaches folks this. And I speak to this a lot. But, but it teaches people how to hide in a meeting, Right? Teach, it, it teaches people how to zip through the door. Once again, I said a lot that religious mass, blessed, I'm blessed and highly favored of the Lord. Gag, right? And, uh, you, you know, basically, that, that see, it teaches people how to be fake. There's really no other way to say it. And, and so, basically, once again, they come in and they sit down, they sing a few songs, they listen to something, as soon as it's an amen is given, shoot out the door. And they've missed everything that the Bible's talking about in that one moment, right? And so what happens is, is, you know, so often in the church, and I, you know, I understand that you got to have structure and you got to have programs and all that stuff, but, but, but there's this side that, that I think in the church, we think if someone's involved in a program, then they must be healthy. And you could be the unhealthiest person on the planet and go to everything that the church is doing. Because once again, you can hide in programs, Right, And I think the, the main thing I want to say here is I think my opinion here, and I could be wrong, but I think when there's this, this, this model that we're talking about is that it teaches people how to be independent. Now, here's the scary part about that is we live in a region where a stronghold is an independent spirit. So we have to, listen, as believers, we have to guard our hearts all the more that we're not trying to live independent and isolated. And so what happens is, is this whole thought where, we, once again, it's right, you know, uh, right teaching or whatever it said a while ago, right information, you know, right choices, commitment, when so all of that. And basically what it does is it t- teaches people how to basically to go, you know what, I prefer to work alone, <laughs> right? That, that thing, I prefer to make decisions alone. I prefer to muscle through my struggles alone. Uh, you know, I, I prefer to succeed and fail alone. I, I prefer to complete my destiny alone. I, I choose to get credit for my accomplishments alone. I, you know, what happens is, once again, we live in isolation by our actions. We tell everybody this. And I've encountered this here. Uh, actually, I, I'm actually quoting someone to what I'm saying. That basically, this is my personal what with Jesus. Mind your own business. 
right? But that's what it communicates. When, when, we, when we try to isolate ourselves, we're, we're basically saying this, and the church formula sometimes teaches this, that we don't need anybody but Jesus. And I want you to know today, that is a lie from the pit of hell. In fact, if you, if you have your Bible, let me just show you something. Um, yeah, I tell you, you can just listen. We'll, we'll go here. James chapter 5. Watch this. I want you to notice how much it talks about other folks in this. It says, is anyone, this is verse 13, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing a psalm. Seems a whole lot like he's hanging with Jesus. That's fine. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for who? Some folks, some people, some elders of the church, and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And says, and the prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Watch this. Confess your sins to who? That's somebody else, isn't it? Now, now watch this. Do we repent to Jesus? Oh, yeah. First and foremost, right? But man, he's saying confess your sins to each other. Why? So you can pray for one another and that you may be healed. You know, it's, it's this thought. In fact, I heard somebody say this, and, I, and at first I didn't like it when they said it. Um, but I think there's some truth in it. It says this, basically, you know, uh, basically if we want forgiveness for our sins, we, we go to Jesus. If we need healing in our hearts, we need to go to people. Yeah. Right? But, but because what happens is, is listen, there, there's this spot that God wants to do deep works of inner healing for, with us. But it only comes to just basically this, this face-to-face, life-on-life encounters with other people. Right? Let me maybe say this. One of the scariest things I think happens in church is that someone can leave for three weeks, four weeks, five weeks, six weeks, and nobody knows they're gone. When that happens, that says we're, we're not grabbing a hold of it. Right? So... I think the problem, personally, with the approach that, that, you know, if I could just get brass tacks here, the problem with thinking that all I need is Jesus is the problem with that is, is yes, that's not how the kingdom works, but if you stop and think about it, that's not how Jesus did his thing. So here they are saying, I just need Jesus, but even Jesus, when he was walking around on earth, he had his disciples with him. Yes, he left, but guess what? Who's he have now? Us. We're co-heirs with him. We're partners with him. Right? And so Jesus himself has never went at it alone, so why do we try? Right? So I just think, once again, listen, it, the kingdom of God operates like an interconnected family. And so if you could maybe stop, if you need a picture in your head, just imagine your, your, your household trying to function without somebody that's in it. Right? Of what they bring. Now, now our, you know, my kids... Uh, bring no money to the table, <laughs> right? Uh, in fact, they, they take a lot of money, right? But, man, the stuff that they bring and who they are is priceless, right? And, and so, so what happens is if you can kind of somehow get a picture in your head that if that's the way my household works, why wouldn't the church work the same way if it's really the same model? Am I making sense? That everybody brings something of who they are to the table, that they have something to give. And uh, so let me, maybe, let me maybe go out this way. When you and I are raised in a spiritual family, here's the kind of things that we learn. And I'm going slow on purpose today. 
We learned this. We learned covenant relationships. We'll talk about that more later, but, but covenant relationships. In other words, that there's a biblical, authentic relationships. And, and let me maybe stop and say this. Those are really messy. They're messy. You know, but I will say this. There's not a, there's not a single good relationship that I have. Let me rewrite. Not a single great relationship that I have that we haven't had to navigate some really difficult bumps in the road because I'm a pretty hard-headed person. And most of my friends are pretty hard-headed people. You know why? Because we're leaders. <laughs> and, and, the, and the thing is, is, is man, but, but we value, once again, our friendship and our relationship more than we desire to be right. And so that has helped us a lot of times just to go, you know what? We agree to disagree. Let's move on. Right? And just love folks. I mean, literally, I, in my head right now, I cannot tell you of a single soul, true blood brother in the faith that at one time or another I didn't say, man, I'm so done with this dude. <laughs> right? But yet here we are. The second thing I think that you learn spiritual family is this, is you learn kingdom responsibilities. And what I mean by that is this, is that when you begin to look around the room, you realize, man, that you're responsible to one another. Holy smokes, right? That, re- that requires a lot. That requires a whole lot, right? So you also learn this, how to function in a grace and life-giving culture. In other words, it's this. Once again, going back to that thing, when you talk about a grace, life-giving culture, the core of that is you see people through the finished work of the cross. That's one of the hardest things on the planet because you just want to see their crap, right? But, but there's that side that you know that they're not dispensable and you know this, man, that if I give these people grace, it will call them up higher. Yeah. Right? If I speak life there and give life there, then maybe they'll, they'll overcome what they're struggling with. Whatever. There's a thousand things to say there. The other thing you learn spiritual families, you learn to live from a position of honor. I, I will say this. It is impossible to learn these next few things we're going to talk about when you're isolated. You, you can't learn how to honor people if you're not ever around them and have an opportunity to disagree. Right? Next thing, pop it up there, is that you learn unconditional love. <laughs> Have you ever watched one of those shows where people are hermits? Yeah. Right? All right. Like, like, there's some of the rudest, you know, rough, mean folks on the planet. And the reason is, is it's, it's hard to fight with yourself. If you're in here and you fight with yourself, I know some good docs. But, but, but listen, you, you, don't, you don't learn unconditional love by not having an opportunity to not walk in love. Right? But, but it's, it's when things are messy and ugly. And once again, my orphan heart bumps up with your orphan heart. I press on that scab or that wound that you've had for years. And that thing flares up. What happens is that moment we learn how to walk in unconditional love. But if no one's ever pressing on those things, hitting those buttons, then guess what? I'm probably not learning it. You might disagree with that. But, but listen, if I'm, not in, if I'm not in a family, where do I learn accountability? Right. When I was a kid, man, listen, I'm still dirty. I'm a messy person. Right. Just ham. And my kids have uh, they've received that, especially the two younger ones. They're like a freaking tornado. But but I remember as as a kid, I remember literally that I would survey my room, all my toys. I had a lot of toys. I'd survey my my toys. My favorite toy was a G.I. Joe, by the way. But anyways, but but they were all on the floor and I would figure out where where the, the holes were and I would hit the light and I would. And I would hop in bed. 
Now, my room would have never got cleaned if my mom didn't bring accountability to me to say, you need to clean your mess up. It was, a, it was typically a whole lot more colorful than that um, and a lot louder than that. But, but I had to clean the room up. And sometimes we need people in our lives to go, hey, look, you need to clean your junk up. Right? If, if, listen, if nobody has said to you in the last year that you need to clean your junk up, you're not living in family. You're isolated. Right? And, and it, listen, and if, and if nobody can tell me, because we've we got some strong personalities in the room, if nobody can tell me my junk, right, th- th- then I have a problem. It's not their problem. It's my problem because that means I'm not approachable. So I, th- I think this, and it's, it's, it's like, in, once again, when you're raised in a family, you learn this thing. You learn servanthood. Yes. It's impossible to, see, when you're isolated, everybody serves you. But when you actually live in a family, then you realize it doesn't matter your role in the family. There's times you serve, right? right? Jesus came to serve. So that, that's the heart of it, right? You, you learn this. Once again, you learn unity in a family. And once again, unity doesn't come when everybody agrees it doesn't. It doesn't. Unity is a position of the heart, not, not a position of the mind of, of saying, yes, X, Y, Z, one, two, three, check, check, check. You agree, I agree. Awesome. We're in unity. That's not unity. Right? That's conformity. All right? So listen, this next thing is, is when, you, when you're raised in a family, you learn how you belong. Right? In other words, my, my kids have never came home and said, Dad, I don't belong in this family. <laughs> right? But you, you know that you belong. And, and the last thing, and I kind of peeped on this earlier, but man, inner healing. It, is what happens is in all that belonging and all that accountability and all those things, what happens is, is in that your, 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 uh, your old wounds flare up. And then when, you, when you're with people that really love you, they can, they can, this is hard, and I'm not always good at this. Uh, because a lot of times when people rise up, I rise up. And a lot of times I rise up, they rise up. <laughs> I have a fiery personality that Jesus has to help me with. Um, but it's this, is that when there's that spot where, man, that wound is poked, right? Because we've all been hurt. We've all been hurt in church. Yes? Hang around a little bit. We'll hurt you. Anyways, <laughs> so we'll help you out. If you haven't yet, just hang in there. All right. <laughs> It's coming, yes. So, so, but there's this spot that, man, it's like, it's like when, that, when that thing gets bumped. You, you know, I think so often, let me say this, in the church world, we get so caught up in dealing with uh, the fruit of people that we forget that there's always a root attached. And the inner healing comes from dealing with the root. In other words, it's like, you, you know, I was talking to someone. I might share this with you guys. Um, I was talking with a guy, and, and he was talking about, the whole thing about this is a leader that, that lives in, in Colorado. And, and he was talking about how basically, you, you know, dealing with, seeing people through, once again, the, the finish work of the cross and all that. And I said, oh, that's great, man. I said, but when you got to deal with somebody's junk, how do you do it? Right? How do you do it? I need to know this. How do you do it? And he said, basically, let's say someone, you know, whatever, blew up, got angry, hollered at everybody. Right? She was a country word when you all hollered. Hollered at everybody. Screamed at everybody. Yelled at them. Right? And, and so he said, basically, what, what I... What I do is I sit down with the individual and I go, man, why'd you get angry? You know, when you did that, here's how you made everybody feel. That's a little touchy-feely for me. But, but, but he hurt my feelings. But anyways, so, so basically, why'd you do that? Well, I was, and the guy said, I'll just say, he said, I was pissed. 
I never say that word. I just, I, I want to I repent right now. I repent to you. I never say that word. So, so he said, you know, I was quoting, right? So, so he said, I, you know, basically I'm mad, right? And, and then he goes, but, but man, what, but, but why were you angry? And it basically boiled down all the way to when this guy was a kid and he got rejected. And because of what happened that moment, he went back to that spot of rejection. And then that's why he lashed out the way he lashed out. We all do that. We all do it, right? And so the moment there, and this is the trick, if it wasn't a family, we wouldn't care enough about that in the first place. But we wouldn't go, man, let's, let's step into that spot. Let's see if Jesus can heal you there. That's inner healing, right? Because the goal, look, in all this, as messy as it is, is to get us whole and to get us well. Right? It's, listen, if we want to be a church that affects the culture of the region, Right? Affects the culture. It, it, it's, it's not doing stuff flashy. It's presenting a better culture, a better way of doing life that makes people interested to go, what are they doing different? And, and if we're dysfunctional as all get out, who wants to hop in that? I don't. So let me, let me maybe say this. When I began to see all of this stuff, I'll just say this honestly. When the lights begin to come on in all these areas, once again, of the, the church structure that I, uh, you know, was spiritually raised in and all that stuff, when I begin to see that, man, that there, there's some serious holes in this thing, uh, it was humbling to think that, man, I've lived my church life all these years in such a superficial way. Right? Put on the nice suit, go to church. Am I making any sense, you guys? So let me kind of share something with you here. When all this was happening, this is significant. I'm going to turn and please just perk up here and listen to this. First um, Samuel 16 says this. This is significant where I feel like we, we need to be headed, where we need to go, okay? And to kind of set this up, we know, that, we know that God spoke to Samuel the prophet, said, hey, man, take your horn of oil. Basically, I've rejected Saul as king. Take your horn of oil. Go to Jesse's house. Anoint one of his kids. I've read this verse. I mean, I don't know how many times in three years I've been here, but, but a little different slant here. Says this in verse 5. Says, Then Samuel performed the purification rite for Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice too. Says, When they arrived, Samuel took one look at Elab and thought, Surely this is the Lord's anointed. Remember, he's there to anoint the next king of Israel. Says, But the Lord said to Samuel, Don't judge by his appearance or height, for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse told his son Abinadab to step forward and walk in front of Samuel as if he was some model. It says, but Samuel said, this is not the one the Lord has chosen. Next, Jesse summoned, how do you say that fellow's name? Uh, said, but Samuel said, neither is this the one that the Lord has chosen. Verse 10 says, in the same way, all seven of Jesse's sons were presented to Samuel. Notice that my boy here wasn't even counted. But Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen any of these. Verse 11, then Samuel asked, are these all the sons you have? Watch this. There is still the youngest, Jesse replied, but he is out in the fields watching the sheep and goats. One day I was processing all the stuff we're talking about and praying, and I read this verse, and when I got to that spot, but he's out in the fields, the Holy Ghost asked me, Quentin, how many spiritual sons have you left out in the fields? And, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you today, how many spiritual sons and spiritual daughters have we left out in the field? Right? Let me maybe go further. Because here's the problem. is because of what it says in that verse. So often the reason they're left out in the field is because they don't look like we, 
look the way we want them to look. Right? They don't fit the appearance of what we're looking for. They're maybe a little too rough around the edges. But, but I dare to say that there's been people that are your sons and your daughters, my sons and daughters, that have come through these doors and didn't find the father or the mother they were looking for, so they left to go find them somewhere else. Is that too honest? So listen, when, when the Lord said that to me, here's what happened. Is, is I began to look at the people around me I begin to look at them a little bit different. You can't help but not to, right? Because I, I begin to look out and I begin to go, who's out in the field? Who's in the field? Who's in the field? And that, what happened is I began to see people with a lot more love and a lot more care than I ever did before. Because before, remember, it's just right information. And it's up to them to make the right choices and a commitment to change. And now I was like, oh, I got to get invested. Right? And so what happened was, as I began to be concerned about not only their natural lives, but their spiritual lives, I began to feel a responsibility for these folks. And, and I began to feel like, once again, that I needed to get invested in their destinies. That I needed to begin to see not who they were. You got to remember, I was a youth pastor. Not who that 14-year-old kid is, but who he's going to be when he's 30. Who he's going to be when he's 40, when he's 50. And I began to talk to kids there. Right? Not, not you're a 14-year-old snot-nosed little kid, but man... Where are we headed, bro? Right? And so what happened was, is through this process, I began to, to basically invite these guys into my life. And what's so awesome is, because I began to feel compelled by the Lord. You need to open up your home. You need to open up your life. You need to ask these folks to come. And what happened was, is guess what? They began to invite me into their own hearts. Right? Because we're all looking for daddies. We're all looking for moms. Okay, listen, it doesn't matter. You, you can be six years old in here and you're still looking for a daddy. So true. And so what happened was, is listen, is once we began to walk through these, this process, we began to really trust one another. And we began to walk in, in, uh, in basically this, in covenant. And, you know, our old church was named Covenant Love. And I, you know, I always thought that was a really weird name because most people doesn't know what it means. But Covenant Love, the, the, the word that's actually, that the strong form is the word Hasid. And Hasid means this, and we'll throw it up there, but it means a sticky love. A bonded love, it's a mercy, it's loving kindness, it's a steadfast love, it's compassion, and it's goodness. And what happened was, is when God began to do this, and I began to look for sons and daughters, right? What happened was, is we began to enjoy Hasid. Am I making sense, you guys? And, and what's so neat is, is I am convinced that that is one of the greatest joys in the kingdom, is just doing life with folks like that. And, what, what, you know, let me maybe say this to you guys. Um, was it easy? Heck no. It was not easy. Uh, you, you know, in this sense, were there difficult moments, difficult conversations? There was loads of them. And not just from me to there, but them to me. Because there's something about uh, sons and daughters. They like to tell you, you're junk too. <laughs> right? I, I would say this, that, that there's a possibility... That sons and daughters have changed my life just as much as any sermon, you know, all the sermons I've ever heard in my life. Because they get real. And, and I, you know, I even say this. I, when, after coming here, this sounds so bad, say this. After coming here, I, uh, I watched a, I watched a, um, basically live on the internet, our old youth service down in, in North Carolina. I looked at one of my spiritual sons, a whole host of them leading the service. And, and, and I watched, uh, basically Rob was leading worship. And, and the guy that took my spot got up, and he did some stuff, and I saw the whole band deflate. 
And, but here's the thing is I went, oh, my God. He learned that from me. Right? That's a scary moment. Because what happened, once again, is, is if you just, it's no different. I look at my kids and I go, why do you talk to your sister that way? Well, it's probably because you heard me do it. Right? And so that change begins to happen. Anyways, I'm, I'm, I'm dragging this here a little bit. But, but listen, it's this. Is, is even in this sense, with that group of folks, did we always do it right? Obviously, the answer is no. And I, and I think this is like, you know, did we understand what we were doing? No, we didn't. We didn't. But I think there was a core conviction. I hope you grab a hold of this. That, that we, we basically understood this. That if we, we knew that there was reward waiting on us if we would do it God's way. Yeah. Right? And, and that, that if we do it God's way, it would outweigh uh, all that other stuff, the nastiness, the mess that we were experiencing because the end game would be really, really good. And it was. And uh, we were right. So let me, let me hustle up here. You know, I think it's important for us to understand that, once again, that all this didn't happen because we all agreed on the same things. It, you know, that's so, that's so key for us to understand. But, but what it was is this, is we all agreed on the simple thing that it was impossible for us to live our spiritual lives to the fullest. It was impossible for all of us to grow to the maturity that God called us to. It was impossible to be able to fulfill our destinies without being interconnected into the family of God and doing Hasid with one another. It's impossible. They're, they're, listen to me, guys. It is impossible for you to fulfill the will of God for your life without being connected to the family. It's impossible. Amen? So let's revisit this verse and we'll land this thing. Once again, 1 Corinthians 4. says this. says, I do not write these things to shame you, but as my beloved children, I warn you. For though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you. Notice these two, verses, two words. Imitate me. It says, for this reason I have sent Timothy to you, who is my beloved and faithful who son in the Lord, who will remind you of all my ways in Christ as I teach everywhere and in every church. Let me show this to you in the Message Bible. I like the way the Message puts it. It says, I'm writing as a father to you, my children. I love you and want you to grow up well, not spoiled. There are, there are a lot of people around who can't wait to tell you what you've done wrong but there aren't many fathers willing to take the time and effort to help you grow. Boy, that grabs the heart of it right there. Willing to take the time and the effort to help you grow. So, so I want to end today by asking you a few questions. I'm not looking for an answer response. I just want you to, in your own heart, let it land. And I want you to let it work in your heart and see how maybe what God says to you. All right. Um, the first question is this, is do you see the need for this stuff in this church, do you see a need for it? And, and I and I think it's this: if we, if we can get personal for a minute, to ask ourselves, man, is anyone is anyone imitating me? I'm not talking about me. It's a question for all of us. Is anybody imitating me? Make it personal. Is anybody imitating you? To, to even ask this: Are you know who are you fathering? Who are you mothering? Who are you fathering? Who are you mothering? If you're sitting here today and you go, uh, man, I don't know if, I'm, if I can do that. Then you need to ask yourself, then who's fathering me? And who's mothering me? 
It's the other connection. Because listen, once again, we're all called a family. We're all, we're all sons and daughters. We're all fathers and mothers. Th- then how is that working in our lives? That, that, that if you can maybe get in, your, get in your heart for a second, that God didn't come and download all this stuff in you for it to remain there. Right? But he never meant for you just to come and let me just tell everybody what to do. It's this thing. Come on, man. Do life with me. Let's go. Right? And then the going, there's the sharing and the mingling and all of that. It's not, once again, you come, you sit down and let me tell you what to do. No. No. Right? It's life on life that our lives are so mixed up with one another that guess what? That the Jesus in me rubs off on you and the Jesus in you rubs off on me. That's the way we do life. Right? So to even ask ourselves this is, is man, who are you enjoying Hasid, bonded, sticky love with? Who, who uh, maybe even ask yourself this, do I really want to do this alone? Do you really want to do it alone? That's miserable, y'all. L- listen, do you want to be a part of something greater than yourself? Because that's the reason we shouldn't want to be, be alone, right? And, and ask ourselves even this, man, would I like to be a part of a spiritual family that believes in me and loves me and would pull out the best in me, even if it's going to be difficult and hard? Because it will be difficult, right? So listen, today, I understand this. I feel kind of silly telling you all this because I really don't know how to do all this. It's like I do, but I don't. Right? It's like I've arrived where I've been on accident by just literally hearing one piece from the Lord, stepping. One piece from the Lord, stepping. But now it's like, oh, you know, here, here's where I think if I failed anywhere in my time in North Carolina, it was this. That meant that, that the stuff that I did with this person, this person, this person, this person, is that it didn't, it didn't ever duplicate. And he didn't find somebody to do it with. And she didn't find somebody to do it with. And she, it just stopped there. And that's not kingdom. Right? There, there's this thing where we're all together. So, so maybe last question today is, is in your own heart. Could you start looking around and try, trying to figure out who's the David in the field for you? Right? That, that it, and once again, be okay with the fact and tell God, God, I, I don't, I'm not expecting him to look like me and act like me. Right, but Lord, can you can you begin to look around? Obviously, we're a little low today. Other people are tired and they didn't come. But but listen, can you look around for the next few weeks? And go, Jesus, who is it? Who is it? Right, and then don't be willing to go. Don't be afraid to go. Hey, you you want to go get a cup of coffee sometime? It doesn't have to be this. Hey, I want to father you. <laughs> it's not it's not really the way it works. I want to mother you. Uh, yeah, don't do that. Right, so. But just build relationship and let the doggone thing happen organically. But find some intentionality in your time together. Now watch this. There's not, if you're sitting here today and go, well, I'm not ready for that. Guess what? Nobody is. So don't let that stop you. Don't let that be your excuse. Right? If you've been, seriously, it, it, you know, even if you're sitting here today and you're like, man, I really, 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 really need a dad or a mom in this thing. Hey, you'd like to go get a bite to eat one day. And here's what I do. Just a thought. I, I was telling, I think, Austin this the other night. I typically go, and I don't know why I'm grabbing this, but I'll grab a little sticky. It's a little bigger than a sticky. Or, or like a little index card, and I'll write questions on it. And I'll have that with me when we go eat. I just start asking questions. I'm a quizzed fellow, though, by nature. Questions are easy for me. 
but, but I started asking questions. But what, the reason I do that, though, is I've is already been watching this person, and I see, like, really good things about them. And what happens is when we get there, I don't draw on the junk I see. Everybody's got junk. I don't want their junk. But I draw on the good that's in them, the gold that's in them, right? Amen. Stand to your feet. Stand up. <laughs> now, listen, today you got a whole bunch of right information, and uh, now you need to go make some right choices, right? <laughs> Oh, Jesus, help me. All right. That's fun. So, Father, thank you today, Lord. Just grab the hand of the person next to you. Why not? Love them a little bit. If you're looking for a spouse, that may not be the one. All right, anyways. Especially if you're holding my wife's hand. Anyways, so, so Father, thank you for today. Lord, I, you know, Lord, I understand that so much of this is, is like it requires something of us. And Lord, a lot of times we don't do well with stuff that's required of us. Uh, because, Lord, we already feel so wore out, worn out and tired and busy. And, uh, Lord, when we begin to talk about like, this kind of stuff, it feels like, man, that's just another thing that I have to do. Uh, but, Lord, it's, it's not. <laughs> Lord, we get to enjoy family. And so, Lord, will you, will you begin to show us even today how to navigate our lives to make room for what you're doing? That we would really ask in our own hearts, God, do we really want to settle for something less than what you've promised? And I hope the answer in all of us is no for that, that we'd, that we'd want it all. And so, Lord, would you begin to speak to us today and really begin to show us that, that even this, that there's, a, there's many of us here that, that we're called to be a father and a son at the moment, a mother and a daughter, that to show us the, the dynamics of all these relationships of what you're asking for us uh, or from us. But, Lord, that you would begin to just connect our hearts with people in a real organic, real relational way, and all those things we talked about today, to just be a download that you would begin to just pour into us, begin to show us how to live a uh, kingdom family. And, uh, Lord, I guess even this today, God, if we just get really down to it here, is that, Lord, we confess that we really don't know how to do this. But, Lord, we understand that there's a conviction in our hearts to go in this direction, and we feel like that's from you. And so, God, we're just asking, God, that you would show us. The truth is, as Lord, most of us in this room, including myself, we don't have the relationship skills to be able to do a lot of this. And so, Lord, we're asking you, God, to even get down in the nitty-gritty with us and show us even how to relationally walk with people. And, uh, Lord, that you would show us how to take off our masks, let down our walls. God, that you would even allow us to, uh, you know, pull back the Band-Aid and let somebody poke the wound uh, for you to be able to bring healing to it. Uh, God, that we're willing to get messy, that we're willing to get, uh, you know, in, in the dirt with each other and walk in grace with one another so we can enjoy what you've called us to. And uh, once again, of your heart and your family. And so, Lord, today I just pray that the mandate, God, that you released, Lord, in your word would just be so rooted in our hearts. Uh, God, that it would grab a hold of us and be branded in our hearts. And God, that we couldn't shake it. God, that we wouldn't be settled God, until we start walking, God, as a church of who you called us to be. And, uh, Lord, we just give this to you. We give your hearts. We make a commitment to you and to one another that, God, we're willing to say yes and step forward in this. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us today. Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram for encouragement in your walk with God and to receive updates on events happening at The Anchor. Have a great week, and God bless.